Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles. And today we're gonna to talk about some of the changes in the iOS 16 developer beta 4. We have some Apple VR headset renders that are really cool and some rumors about the Mac Pro and M2 Extreme, Apple Watch Pro, and more. This episode is brought to you by our friend Collide. You'll hear about them in a moment. And joining me this week, my friend uh, across the states, Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? Good, Stephen. Uh, across the states, I'm, I wouldn't even say that. I'm, I'm north of you a uh, few hundred miles. It's not even that far. What is it? One state away, right? We got Georgia in between us. Is that accurate? I think so. Yeah. Tennessee's in a weird spot. We're, we're bordered by like 13 states. So <laughs> That's right. That's right. So yeah, yeah stay, a state-ish away. So we actually have a ton of news. So, so let's jump into it and some follow-up that, uh, that I want to get to. Real quick, we had one five-star review from Jandri from Bloemen Fountain in South Africa. Actually, our host, Transistor, this is where we host our podcast. They actually started doing these new achievements. And it lets you know, like, oh, you know, when you reach a certain number of downloads, all this kind of stuff. And we are actually listened to in 150 countries. The Apple Insider podcast lists 150 countries. And I would have thought that was crazy until all these five-star reviews from all over the world. So thank you all for listening. Thanks, Jandri, for listening all the way from South Africa. He says he uh, mows the lawn and does uh, work in the garden as he listens to the show. So that's really fun. Quick follow-up, I want to encourage everyone, you've been sending in some obscure Mac utilities. This is because uh, William last week, you know, I was ragging him because he's got so many Mac utilities, a breadth of knowledge of all these utilities I had never heard of. And so I've gotten some tweets. Keep them coming. Keep tweeting at me some obscure Mac utilities that you don't think people have heard of. And uh, we want to see if William actually has them on his Mac right now or not, because he has like over 200 apps. Did you have any uh, obscure Mac utilities that you use? Maybe that are not uh, super popular? I don't think so. I, I have like five apps installed on my Mac. <laughs> it's a, five, it's a five apps. I, there's more than that built in. So I imagine it's a, it's a few more. Well, I, I use uh, SetApp. So I have a lot of those installed, but I wouldn't call those obscure because right. I think everyone subscribes to SetApp. True. It's a good, it's a good service. They, they're a previous sponsor. SetApp has some great utilities. One other follow-up. I mentioned my Blu-ray disc drive and I had a couple questions about it. This is... Super niche, but if you're wanting to do something with Blu-ray discs on your Mac, someone asked, are Blu-ray discs playable on a Mac natively? The answer is no. So even though you can connect an external Blu-ray disc reader and writer to a Mac without any third-party software, your Mac can't do anything with those Blu-ray discs. If you open up the DVD player app, the Blu-ray disc does not show up. Like, it's just not there. You actually need a third-party app both to rip the disc I mentioned the app MakeMKV, which is what I use for ripping a Blu-ray disc. And if you want to play a Blu-ray disc, you actually need a different third-party app. I'll put a link in show notes to the one that I found is kind of like most popular, but I thought that was interesting. And also, someone mentioned that when there's a breakout USB-A cable, I mentioned that this uh, LG Blu-ray reader has a breakout cable. It goes from like mini USB to two USB-As. It's not actually for data throughput. It is for power. So if a device needs more power than just a typical USB-A port provides, that's what that breakout cable is for, is for uh, powering that device. So there you go. I remember like six years ago uh, trying to connect a Blu-ray player to my Mac and it just wasn't happening. So I imagine you need some special software to get that running. You do. You do. I'll put, I'll put a link to show us to some options. So one of the piece of follow-up listener, David Finley on Twitter, was asking how the white magic keyboard case for my iPad has held up as far as look. You know, a lot of talk about the M2 MacBook Air, that midnight blue that's very fingerprinty, could be wearing off around the ports, depending on how much you struggle to get a USB-C connector in there. And so he was asking about the white magic keyboard, which I also tweeted, I would love a midnight blue option for the iPad Pro, maybe magic keyboard. We'll see. I don't think it'll ever come, but just throwing that out there. But the uh, white magic keyboard for iPad, I'll put a photo as the uh, chapter art right now. It's held up really well. There's a couple 
light smudges from the part that actually lays on the desk or table all the time. But a lot of these things can be wiped off if you use a magic eraser. Chris from Daily Tech, the YouTube channel, I remember him telling me that that was a good strategy for removing some marks. But overall, it's held up really well, and it's been almost a year and a half. Did you get a white one? No, I, I use uh, space gray. Everything I buy is black or gray or some non-color. Right. I remember you trying to clean your uh, white magic keyboard and rubbing some of the cloth color oh, yeah, back onto it. So how's that? how'd that go? Is still is it white again um it is white you know i can't see it turned pink so the story was i did get a mark on it i wanted to clean it i used a red cleaning cloth with some isopropyl alcohol because that's what i read was apple's like official cleaning thing for their devices isopropyl alcohol use some of that with a red cloth and my white magic keyboard started turning pink because the red started coming off on the thing. Pulled the dye out of it, yeah. Yeah, it was terrible. Right now as I look at it, I don't see any of that pink anymore. And so it must have worn off. I will say I did get something. This was really weird. I got a small rock or pebble actually in the felt of the back of the white magic keyboard case, you know, where your iPad actually lays against. Very, very tiny thing. I don't know if it was metal or rock or whatever. I did not know about it for a long time. And then when I looked at the back of my iPad Pro, I actually saw this tiny little, like, not a hole, but like this minor crater. And I had no idea how it got on my iPad Pro until I looked at the Magic Keyboard case and I saw that something was embedded in that felt and had been scratching it every time I put it in and took it out of the uh, keyboard case. So that, that was a freak thing. But uh, no, overall, the white has held up pretty good. Kind of thinking about desk equipment. It, most companies either sell just white or just black. And that kills me because I want everything to match. And here on my desk, I have <laughs> you know a black keyboard, a black magic trackpad, and a silver iPad stand. It says it's space gray, but I swear it's silver. Like it might as well be silver. <laughs> and then the um, Linksys tower is just the brightest white they could find. Yeah, it's just, right. I don't know. Now I've just kind of given up. I'm like, all right, I guess I should just mix and match and multicolor everything because nothing's going to match anyway. Yeah, I got an Anchor MagSafe like charging station for my desk. It's the one where it's like magnet on the front and then it has USB-C and full outlets on the back. And I struggle to know which color to get because I have so much dark stuff on the desk. My Mac Studio is the aluminum color. Then I have my white magic keyboard and my space gray iPad. I don't know. I, I've given up on the basic Apple guy aesthetic. I think it's just, it's all random colors everywhere. Yeah. I, I've, I've just always been a fan. I, and this is probably basic, but like, uh, I just like the black space gray thing, the opposite of what Apple is, I guess, because they're sure. the bright white glass exteriors. But so I always go for, I guess the, the gamer aesthetic LEDs and whatnot, just cause, uh, it's fun. I don't know. It lets you customize things a little differently than yeah. what, like, I guess a standard desk setup would. Right. I have a, before we move on, I had a question for you kind of related to, yeah. so if, um, William is the king of finding the most random obscure Mac apps, I wanted to ask the opposite. Is there any install pre-installed Apple apps that you do not use just at all. You've never opened. I'm not talking about photo booth, you know, <laughs> that would, that would have been one. Let me scroll real quick through the built-in apps. I don't think I've opened the chess app on my Mac. Don't, don't, don't play chess. No, I love, no, I love chess. Uh, I'll play physical chess all the time. I, I was going through my Apple apps on my iPhone, just in the app store to see what was listed. And I forgot they had that Texas Hold'em app, 
<laughs> oh wow yes that, that they re-released um just very obscure very random but I, I was more pointing to like a productivity apps like have you replaced reminders completely or notes or mail or anything that you just no I where you never open apple's app anymore you're you're completely in on a third party not really i still use all of those in some context i'm using apple notes right now because we share those I still use the stock mail app. I will say one app that I did use when I first started using Mac that I have not opened in years is Stickies. And Stickies was something that I did use all the time. It was more part of the uh, dashboard view on the older versions of Mac OS, but I've not opened Stickies in a long time. So makes you kind of wish uh, widgets would actually come to the <laughs> Mac desktop, right? Oh yeah, that would be nice. I would like widgets. Anyway, I just brought that up because uh, I've, I've been having that yearly fight with myself of do i just want to stick with apple apps do i explore third parties what's the point of an app store if you don't use third-party apps you know that whole conundrum and it's i'm just really happy with apple's apps right now i don't know i am too i'm very much looking forward to ios 16 and mac os ventura for the delay or remind me in mail kind of like the snooze feature that i use in gmail and outlook in their first party apps and it'll be great to just be able to do remind me later and send later in the built-in mail app and then i think i'll be all in i've been very happy with the apple apps too i've debated trying to transition fully to reminders i still use things i love things i use reminders also for different kinds of things mostly because there are some tasks that i don't want to see until late in the day or until i have to do them like taking out the trash you know we put out the trash the night before as it's going to get picked up in the morning I don't want to see that task anywhere until like the end of my workday and it's early evening. Like that's when I want to do it. And for something like things, if I put those kinds of tasks on a specific day, I'm going to see in my today view all those tasks that kind of distract me and I, and I just don't want to see them alongside my work tasks. And so that's why I kind of separate certain things in reminders and different things in the things app. But I've played around with maybe using reminders full time. It'd be interesting to be able to uh, have focus filters for reminders. Maybe that would be a good utility. Yes. I really like how things is designed. I've used it before. I guess uh, my thing against it is that they don't use Apple's reminder API, which would just let you use the reminders app alongside things. Um, things has its own uh, system uh, in place. So that's probably what turns me away from it. I wherever there are apis that tap into apple's things i try to use those like you know calendars is a universal thing mail is a universal thing can't really lock that into an app system unless you know you go with a very specific weird one like a, that superhuman superhuman and then there's another one that's like anyway it's it's a different version of superhuman right right yeah but those those sorts of apps uh I guess now if I'm going to be going all in on Apple apps, my thing this year with iOS 16, I'm hoping to see more developers tap into APIs that let me augment uh, Apple's apps. Like, yeah, instead of going all in on Fantastical, I'll just use Apple's calendar app. But if I want a really nice yeah. widget, I'll get a calendar widget app that taps into app. You know what I mean? Like uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. those types of things or the music players that let you have nice widgets or nice controls, but you would still be using Apple music. Uh, that's the kind of approach I'm taking now. And uh, we'll see how that goes. I will say the calendar app is probably the closest first party app I've come to not using. I don't know if I've ever opened it on my iPhone or iPad. I exclusively use Fantastical there, but every once in a while I will open it on my Mac just because I do find that the syncing is a little faster and I have like four or five different calendar accounts 
that I need to access. And the stock calendar app, I'll double check if something's synced there, and then I'll see if it's in Fantastical. And if it's not, I'll you know try to kind of kick Fantastical and see if it'll actually sync it or quit it and restart it. So every once in a while, I'll open the Mac calendar app, but I use Fantastical pretty much 99% of the time. The calendar app is Apple's one of Apple's weakest apps right now, right? It needs a reminders notes style redesign, a rethinking yes. where we've been begging for mail and stuff to get redesigned too. Sure. They th threw in a couple of new features, but yeah, mail and calendar is the most neglected, but calendar is definitely the most boring. And I, that's why I really like fantastic. Calendar. I've paid for it for years, just like with mail. I'm not really a power user. So those features are nice and I get to use them every now and then it's just, I'm not, I'm not checking my calendar every day. I'm not, yeah in that kind of lifestyle where I have 30 meetings or something I need to keep track of in different calendars. Uh, I had to reassess and think, do I really need to be paying, you know, $40 a year or whatever it is for a bespoke calendar app? And, uh, maybe not. Yes, you do. Fantastic. Cal is that good. It, it is really good. And, <laughs> and that's what really I'm saying. Good. Like, I, I really like it. I just like the way it looks and presents information, but uh, I have been toying around with Apple's calendar app and it's disappointing, um, that it isn't as good as it should be. So contacts is also the other app in there that really boring, really needs some, some updating. It's boring, but it's so powerful. It's insane. Yeah. How, like I, I, I harp on this all the time. I know, but like contacts, man, get in there. <laughs> There's so much you can do with that app. For sure. And it's, it is powerful. And I guess it's not an app that you spend a ton of time in, but I don't know. I feel like some innovation could be had there. I will say the one feature, you know, if you're wondering why would you want to use Fantastical over the stock calendar app, like what's the point? There's lots of reasons. Calendar groups and being able to schedule different calendars appearing and disappearing at certain times. But the one feature that I really love is the ability to hide an event without deleting it. And especially if you share calendars with your family member, maybe your partner, there are many times where I will have a calendar entry for an event that we're going to be at and I have information in there that I want, but then my spouse will add an event, the same event with some different information. Maybe I want that information, maybe I don't, but I definitely do not want a duplicate event on that calendar day. And that happens, especially across like multiple calendars. Sometimes I have to add an event to a certain work calendar, so I'm blocked as busy, but I actually want the event for that calendar in another calendar account. And so a lot of times I'll have duplicate events for different purposes and the ability for Fantastical to hide an event, even hide series of events, but not delete it is really powerful. And so that alone, I'm thumbs up for Fantastical. Real quick on Thursday, Apple had its Q3 earnings call where it reported a record-breaking $83 billion in revenue. This beat analyst expectations, which was around $82 billion. Mac revenue was slightly down, but remember last year would have been immediately after the M1 revolution with the M1 MacBook Pro, MacBook Air, and Mac Mini. But services was up 19.6 billion over last year's 17.4. And on the recent reports of slowing the hiring process at Apple, Tim Cook actually said that Apple is being deliberate in the hiring process, but wouldn't call it a slowdown. One last piece of follow-up before we jump into iOS 16. I did have a special interview with YouTuber Kirsten. She has a YouTube channel, K Digital Studio, and she has a fascinating story because she was a chemistry major. She did graduate. She has a chemistry degree now, but while she was in school, she discovered, she discovered writing notes on an iPad and it launched her into a content creation career. Now she's a full-time YouTuber, over 100,000 subscribers on YouTube, all started just from a base model iPad and Apple Pencil. Really fun story. And so you can listen to that interview as the last episode in the podcast feed if you're 
subscribe to the show and you should definitely subscribe. Yeah, it was it was a really good interview. And it just reminds me a little bit of my transition into tech from uh, nuclear power, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and also, I, I just love hearing these stories, these serendipitous moments of people just falling into something and they look up and they're like, yeah. wait, am I really the only person talking about this? I'm the only person doing this. And they're just able to carve out this niche for themselves that otherwise wouldn't have existed or didn't exist before. And, you know, it, it happens a lot. It's it's crazy. It's that, it's that weird law of large numbers. It happens a lot because we see a lot of creators get huge because of that, but it's actually very hard to do. Like you can't just walk out there and look up and say, right. all right, what's nobody else doing? That's like, you know, you can't ask a negative like that and expect an answer to fall into your lap. You have to discover it. And right. I thought that was just a really cool idea of how do you you know making videos and stuff being productive on ipad it was niche at the time and it's just grown and uh, she got to catch that wave yeah exactly and pretty late in the game in 2018 she started her youtube channel so years after the ipad but you know even still people are discovering the ipad and apple and all that so anyway let's talk about ios 16 because the developer beta 4 was released it's kind of a big change to the messages app so as you might have known ios 16 is going to introduce the ability to edit iMessages and even unsend messages previously you were able to unsend a message sent an iMessage in 15 minutes after you send it so if you send a message up to 15 minutes later you were able to unsend that message that has now been changed down to two minutes so you can only unsend a message for two minutes now as you send it. Again, this could change before final release, but interesting change now here in beta four. Then also the edits. So you can edit a message 15 minutes after you send it, but now you only have five maximum edits. So if you want to edit a message, you get five tries and your recipient will actually be able to view the edit history. And so the edit little de designation under the actual blue bubble, previously it just said edited, now it's actually a blue button and when you tap it you see the history of the edited message and so someone could see your typo or whatever else in that history now there's been a lot of talk about these changes one mark german from bloomberg he was like the ability to see the edit history is now pointless because you know everybody could see the typo or what you made a mistake so the edit history he didn't like that and he thought the ability to undo send a message kind of obfuscated the whole edit thing anyway. Like if you don't want someone to see the edits you're about to make, then just unsend the message and they don't see any of the edits and you just resend it. And then it's like, well, why is if you really don't want someone to see your mess ups in the edits, you would just unsend and then resend a new iMessage. Why is the edit history even there? So I'm curious, Wes, what are your, some of your thoughts on this? The whole 15 minutes down to two for unsend and then the edit history. Well, like with anything, especially social features, uh, people are bringing their own personal views into this. And uh, sometimes you have to take a step back and kind of see what the feature is about. Because uh, I saw uh, another just Twitter personality saying, why not just do, you know, asterisk edit like we've done, you know, done for all time. And it's like, well, right. why not have it as a software feature? You, you, if you want to ask one question one way, ask it the other. Whoever's going to use it and make the decision to use these features, they're going to be happy that they're there. And the people who don't want to use it don't have to use it. My position here is, is basically it's good that Apple's doing this. We need the ability to edit a lot of uh, messaging features and stuff have this. The edit history makes sense because again, why would you be against uh, someone seeing your edit history unless it was for malicious intent. I, I mean, oh, I made a dumb typo, haha. And then maybe they still get to make fun of you for that. The other side of this, the unsend thing, that's the dangerous territory because now people seem to be missing 
the other side of the conversation here of this can be misused and a 15 minute window gives people a lot of time to misuse uh, the unsend feature like sending explicit photos or messages and then unsending it and the only thing you get on both ends is a message saying a message was unsent mm. you have no way of recalling it or finding out what it was two minutes is still maybe even a little too wide i mean i would even argue the uh what's the mail window 30 seconds or the to unsend a mail i think that might be the sweet spot just because you don't want people sending things and then unsending them just to creep on them or do whatever it is they're doing with these messaging apps and 15 minutes was just insane that was too much but two minutes is a little bit better i would argue that the feature needs to go one step further even and what would probably fix a lot of the complaints around this is because i think it was john gruber who was saying uh you know what's the point if once a message is sent the ownership is in both parties so no one should have the right to delete something off of someone else's device right. my argument here and apple knows when the recipient has read the message even if they don't have read receipts on iMessage has that information they don't have to relay the read receipt to the other party mm. why can't apple remove the unsend feature if the other party has read it that timers mm. and stuff great two minutes whatever but if the other party has read the message remove the unsend option from the sender and uh, that I think that would be the perfect solution to this. That's an interesting solution. So the Gmail unsend mail feature, which there's a big complication when you talk about unsending email versus the iMessage, because email, the way the technologies work with IMAP and all that, once an email hits your recipient's server and inbox, like you can't pull it back. Like you don't have access to the recipient's mail server to be able to get that email back. This is the tweet edit feature that they've introduced. It's the same concept. Right. So the, the undo send in an email application, all it's doing is delaying sending it for you to think about what you just sent for a second. In Gmail, you can adjust that unsend time from 5, 10, 20, or 30 seconds. So the maximum amount of time to delay sending a message is 30 seconds in Gmail. Yeah, Apple Mail does this too. Yeah, and Apple Mail does that too. Now, John Gruber, he and Mark Gurman were going back and forth. The exact tweet from John Gruber, he says, the sender of an iMessage doesn't get and doesn't deserve the right to erase all traces of something that was once on the recipient's phone. Once you send a message and it's delivered, the message is as much the recipient's as it is the sender's. It's a balance. Interesting take, of course, apps like Snapchat completely uh, do away with that methodology, you would say, because a snap, unless you screenshot it, which I think you can disable screenshots now, I'm not sure. But, you know, something like a Snapchat, once you send, once it's viewed and it's gone, it is no longer available on the recipient's phone. They don't have access to it at all. So John Gruber is advocating for a different methodology when it comes to iMessages than what someone else like Snapchat would do. So that's one point. And then the second example he uses, and then I'll comment, he says, being able to edit the misspelling is much more graceful than currently where I need to send a new message like, sorry, Mark with a K, not Mark with a C. So he's saying, if you iMessage someone and you maybe misspelled their name, the ability to edit that message is better than having to send a correction message. Now, I would say personally, if I'm iMessaging someone for a work, maybe it's a client, it's happening more and more now where iMessage is really used in work context. If I misspell someone's name, especially if it's someone that I have not communicated with often or I don't know very well, I would actually 
not want them to know I misspelled their name. Like that's, that's a situation where I don't want them to be able to see the edit history and that I didn't either take the time or I forgot how to misspell their name. Like, and that's, it's on me as the sender. Like I messed up. I should have spelled their name right the first time. But in that situation, I would probably not just edit the iMessage. I would unsend it and then resend it with the correct spelling. They see that a message was unsent. They won't know why. They won't know that I misspelled their name. And so in that specific context, I'm actually in favor of, I would probably unsend and resend. I don't want someone to know I misspelled their name, especially if it's a work context. Now, if it's more casual conversation and I've misspelled something, maybe it's even just to my partner or a friend and the misspelling actually changes what I'm trying to communicate or makes it difficult to understand what I'm trying to say, then I'll definitely edit that message rather than unsend. And so I do think that there is a purpose for both of these features. I think personally, I will probably use the edit feature in more casual contexts and probably the undo send in more business or work-related contexts. And for that, the two-minute window to unsend is plenty enough to be able to right. see something that you've made a mistake or misspelling or you you know you notice something that you shouldn't have said and you unsend it because typically you notice it right after you press the blue send button you see it show up in the conversation and you think oh i just sent that and i didn't mean to and two minutes should be plenty of time to do something like that yeah undo send seems like a very good oops uh i uh, wrong window right that happens all the time especially like in slack yes. right you sending the wrong message to the wrong person i won't go into details that does recall have you you seen secession right that show no i have not seen it oh well you need to watch it but i'll, I'll uh, just for the just for the <laughs> audience uh there is a there's a moment in that show and i won't like i said i won't go into detail where a character accidentally sends an explicit photo what he thought he was sending to a secret affair he was having he sent it to his father <laughs> yeah it just caused a whole lot of turmoil if he had that undo send feature it would have uh, probably saved him a lot of headache anyway it's just there are moments in life where these things happen and um unsend makes a lot of sense to have a lot of people are uh, uh, just like air tags they're jumping to the most extreme examples which do happen um and that's why this two minute window needs to maybe even shrink even more and like i said apple could get more clever with the technology but i don't i think the feature definitely need, needs to exist and the edit button i think is just it's kind of the whimsical i like how they've set it up you tap it you see a stack of the history of edits right like i could foresee use cases where oh i said the wrong time let me edit that and it's the, here's the new time yeah you know just there's a lot of reasons why in that 15 minute window works great for edits because again you've got plenty of time to make a correction and people can see that you've made a correction it, it just it seems like both should definitely exist and i don't really understand again as usual the conversation as to you know it should not exist or why don't you just do do it this way. It's a, it's a use case thing. People yeah. will use it, I'm sure. And I do think as these features roll out to everyone publicly this fall, once people realize messages can be unsent and edited, that there will be a kind of wave of use case changes where there'll be more screenshots being taken of iMessage conversations. Yeah, and especially, especially those hateful or you know bad ones, quickly screenshot it, make sure they don't delete it. Right, which again was a, a strategy utilized by many Snapchatters early in the day. You know, if, if there is a situation, if you are receiving messages that have to be shown in court one day, or you know it's, it's malicious type things that you have to report, I would be get in the habit of screenshotting those iMessages as they come in. And then you do have a record of it. Like Gruber is saying, like that screenshot is on your phone. It's of the message that was sent to you. That's yours. You know, that's not on someone to unsend. The nature of these things, I wonder, it's end-to-end -end encrypted. So Apple doesn't have a history 
or a log or anything either. So it's not like they can go and get subpoenaed and be like, all right, show us all the unsent texts. No. This is all just, it's very permanent. Yeah. And, and I do think both features are good and necessary and taking 15 minutes down to two for unsend, I think would affect a very small percentage of messages and people, you know, who would want to use that feature. And because you have the unsend feature showing the edit history Again, I, I think it's totally reasonable and maybe even good. I wish I had the undo send when I texted my one password password to my mechanic. Right. <laughs> but he was also on SMS, so I would not be able to unsend that. And uh, all the more reason, uh, maybe one day RCS. Who knows? I did see I did see some chatter on the internet, and this might be literally one person, so don't take it for anything. <laughs> but I did see someone saying, "Well, I guess I'll just stay on iOS 15, so they can't unsend text to me. You know, they'll be able to see the unsent text or see the edits or whatever." And it's just like, what What are you doing? <laughs> I would be curious. So it does only work when both devices are on iOS 16, right? I assume. So it, we tested this. If you unsend a message to someone on iOS 15, we see that it's unsent we get it unsends it shows the message has been unsent but on their end they see nothing and the edit i think they might even get an edit like the blue text but they won't see the text change it won't change it won't have an edit history it just won't change at all uh so it's like the feature just doesn't even work really curious I, we might not have tested this but if someone's iphone is on ios 16 but their ipad is on ios 15 and they have icloud messages enabled you send a text it delivers to both devices, and then you choose to unsend it. Does it disappear from the iPad running iOS 15? See, that's that's a very specific circumstance. I don't think... I actually have an, uh, a Mac in here syncing my iMessages. It's running Monterey. I could go check. But and that, me and Andrew have just been spamming each other and then unsending messages. So <laughs> trying that, to do, yeah. yeah, so... I would be curious. Uh, maybe follow-up for, for, for next show yeah. or, or a tweet. Uh, I would be curious. My iPhone... I have not done the betas yet. I, I I'm, not, I'm not doing the public beta yet. So my iPhone is still on 15. My iPad is on 16. But I do think it would be different for the phone to be on iOS 16, where your iMessage account tied to that phone number and all. And so I'd, yeah, I'd be curious what that what that does. And one other last tidbit about iOS 16. This is not new information, but the live activities feature, where a company like Uber or DoorDash will be able to put the progress of an order on your lock screen. Rather than getting a thousand notifications about a single order, you'll be able to see like a timeline view of here's where your order is or here's where your delivery is. That live activity feature will not be coming out when iOS 16 launches publicly. Whenever that is this fall, it will be coming later this year. This was actually stated during WWDC, but just thought to reiterate that you have to wait a little longer for that and probably other features. A lot of times features get delayed when we get closer to the public release. The live activities being delayed, I do wonder how this affects features already in iOS 16 betas. Do you think that the um, music app will still get the live activities, the timer will still show up um, because they're first party Apple apps? Or does this mean nothing with a live activity will work at, uh, at shipment? Because they're working great. Like I love that yeah. Apple music um, full screen effect and the, the podcast full screen effect. It's really good. I bet those will come with the public release and it's just third party apps We'll have to wait for that integration like Uber and DoorDash and all right. of them. Like developer uh, submitting. I've seen um, where people are testing it now because the API is live and uh, they're showing screenshots and videos of them making it work. But yeah, I guess Apple could just flip a switch and say, no, your app can't support this, even if it's built into the app already. Because that, that is kind of odd. The developers can build the function. They just can't ship it. This episode is brought to you by Collide. 
If your company is considering a third-party audit like SOC2, then you should be prepared to answer some tough questions about endpoint security. Auditors want to know that you have a system in place to monitor and maintain compliance across your devices, which means showing that your employees are using things like disk encryption, screen lock, and password managers. And if you're not quite sure how you'd go about proving that, then you need Collide. Collide is an endpoint security tool for your Mac, Windows, and Linux devices that does things MDMs, mobile device managers, can't. And they give you the visibility you need to meet your third-party and internal compliance goals. Best of all, Collide doesn't resort to surveilling employees or locking down devices. Instead, it works with end users to resolve issues and relies on their cooperation and informed consent. You can meet your security goals and pass your audit without compromising on privacy. Visit collide.com slash Apple Insider to find out how. I love Collide. What they do is they actually send messages directly in Slack to your employees and lets them know what they need to do to change their security and privacy to meet those standards. And if you follow that link, collide.com slash Apple Insider, they'll hook you up with a free goodie bag just for activating a free trial. Look at that. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash Apple Insider, collide.com slash Apple Insider to get the free goodie bag and sign up for a free trial. Our thanks to Collide for sponsoring this episode. All right, before we get to some rumors and the M2 Extreme and Mac Pro, I do want to mention Gruber one more time. He actually did a Twitter poll on how many use tab groups in Safari. I thought it was very interesting. 66% of people said they never use tab groups in Safari. And this was 10,000 votes, over 10,000 votes for this. 66% said they never use tab groups. 19% said sometimes. 15% said a lot. And I was one of those that said a lot. But if you had asked me three months ago, I would have said never. And I think tab groups is one of those features that you actually have to invest a little bit of time, kind of like shortcuts where you actually have to invest a lot of time to really get a great value out of it. I do think tab groups with some investment becomes an incredibly powerful feature. Just one example, I have a tab group for this podcast. And so right after we're done recording, I will open that tab group in Safari and all the websites I need to publish a new episode are automatically loaded in those tabs. We have the sponsors where I'll put the timestamps and upload the audio file, Patreon, Apple Podcasts to upload the subscriber audio, Transistor to upload the public audio. And having that tab group just one click away, everything I need, to publish that episode, really useful. And then for different clients or different work, having tab groups that has like the project management website so I can see the tasks for that work, having a couple Google Docs that are related to that specific job, whatever other links of interest for that particular job, like having those in tab groups and just leaving them always open is a big deal. And also I'm kind of one of those, like I wanna close all my Safari tabs at the end of the day. And the nice thing is with tab groups, I get the best of both worlds. My main Safari tab group can be none or one tab if I'm like reading an article. And then all those tabs that I had in tab groups are just persistently there, just one click away. And that was one thing I had to get used to doing. With tab groups, if you leave the tab open, then it's actively a part of that group. But my habit was always to close tabs as I'm done working on a thing. And that makes tab groups a lot less useful because if you close all your windows, then when you go back to that tab group, it doesn't have any of those windows again. So you really have to leave all those tabs open for the tab group to be functional. And so I would encourage people, it seems like a majority of people are not using tab groups. And I would say there's probably a good use case for it. And just invest maybe like 30 minutes setting up a couple tab groups. Again, group all the things that you need for maybe a client, for a job in a single tab group, leave that tab group open, don't close tabs that are of interest, 
And I think you'll find some use for it. But how, how's your been experience with tab groups? Well, I wonder out of that 66%, how many are actually using Safari? Because that wasn't part of the question. I feel like mm. we need to drill down because a large number of that might be Chrome users and Firefox users, as awful as that is. Safari tab groups, is, it's, it's really awesome. I've been using it since they were introduced in Monterey, and they are uh, even better in Ventura and iOS and all that because I have tab groups for two different work things. So for publishing, like if I'm writing a story, I have a tab group for, you know, having the article publisher reference uh, links and whatever story I'm writing all in those tabs. And then if I need to do something social related for posting to, uh, you know, Twitter or Facebook or whatever, I have a separate tab group for posting to those things and checking those details. So I click that and bam, just, you know, three different tabs open with everything I need to know about that. And then I have a personal tab group and a gaming tab group. Like uh, the gaming one's cool because like whatever game I'm playing or like I, I'm investing a lot of time in, if I have guides or something that I'm using for that, those can just stay open there or like a, a reference to some Pokemon or something that I need to find in, in, in a Arceus or whatever. <laughs> so like I am using these like crazy and now with focus filters, right. I can use them even more. So I, you know, before my shift starts, my stuff automatically shifts to my work focus at a certain time. And I go sit down at my Mac and open Safari and I'm already seeing all of the tabs I need for work. And what's really cool too is I decide to switch to my iPad Pro and you know go sit in the living room or something and open Safari. The same tabs I was just working on, regardless of what I close, what I open, what I'm doing, it is the same set of tabs on my iPad open and ready to go. And uh, I just find them very useful. I, I'm, I'd be very surprised like why to hear why people are choosing not to use them. Again, like I think it's the alternative browser thing that people are using Chrome or something that's probably the major reason. Um, but yeah. if you're a Safari user, uh, I would definitely go out of your way to just think of workflows that require you to have certain windows open. Look at your bookmarks that you return to a lot. Like have a paying bills tab group, honestly, right. just like experiment you'll you'll find plenty of reasons to do it not all of them have to be tied to focuses either right so. and i did see a couple of the tweets in gruber's thread where people have gotten used to using bookmark groups and if you hold the option key on your keyboard and click a bookmark folder in your favorites bar it opens all of those websites at once and so people who have been used to that and also are tab closers like I am, where I like to close all the tabs, that works together, opening up a bookmark group, closing as you go. And so some people are just in the habit of that. Another layer of complexity here that I've found cool that I've dived all in on. I always have, when you click on the Safari address bar, it shows you whatever your selection is, a bookmark folder or a favorites folder. Everyone usually uses favorites, right? Now with focus filters and stuff, and this is just, I think, a part of Ventura in general, you can also have different sets of favorites for each tab group mm. and a default set of favorites. So a Whoa. there's a set of favorites that show up no matter what tab group you're in in a separate section. And then above that in the, uh, in the same like address bar drop down, whatever you call it at the top, you get that tab groups uh, favorites. So mm. when I'm in the work focus, I get my work website favorites and then when I'm in the gaming one, I get my gaming website favorites yeah. as well as all of my standard favorites below it. It's really cool. I don't know if I explained that right. Definitely something worth setting up too. 
Yeah, let us know what you think about the iMessage changes in iOS 16 and whether or not you use tab groups. I might do another Twitter poll too of our own listeners to see if uh, Apple Insider listeners vary any in the 66% that never use tab groups. Yeah, I can I can throw that up on our Twitter. Yeah, it'd be fun. Also, real quick, I do want to highlight our 3D render artist at Apple Insider did an incredible job making 3D renders of Apple's expected VR headset. I'll put a link to his Twitter and also our article in the show notes. We have a very cool AR integration. So if you visit the link on your iPhone, you can actually tap the image of the VR glasses and see them in AR in the room that you're in. You could like put them on your desk and you can take a picture using kind of that uh, augmented reality thing that Apple does a lot of times for their events as well. And we have our whole article rounding up all the rumors for this VR headset that's supposedly going to come, you know, late 2022 or early 2023. So really cool. Just wanted to give a shout out for that. Just to highlight the USDZ file uh, in Safari, that's what lets you do the AR experiences. It's the right. same format that Apple uses to let you do 3D uh, iPhones or put a MacBook on your desk and stuff. So right. the 3D render here is actually really good. The only thing, if you notice, you rotate it. We don't have the eyeglasses um, made, the actual internal right. glass lenses. It's kind of padded out, but I think it looks pretty good. It's difficult because we're still creating these renders based on rumors and design rumors around the VR headset have been scarce. The last real solid thing that we got is pretty much the only solid thing that we have. And that was the information drawing from uh, like 2020 showing basically what looks like scuba goggles with a rubber headband that wraps around the back of your head. We tweaked it a little bit. We added an overhead rubber band because if you think about it, a big heavy headset needs some sort of topical support uh, or otherwise all the weights on your nose. I personally, and like we discussed this and we didn't want to just completely start from scratch because again, we're trying to go off the, the rumors here. We're not trying to create our own rumors. If that's too much inside baseball, I don't know. But um, <laughs> no, I get it. like, we're not trying to make up our own stuff, but like, like for me personally, if I was going to make this from scratch today and try and decide like what is Apple going to do for a VR headset, I would look at PSVR 2 with the hovering um, eyeglass set that, that's attached to a forehead pad. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just look up PSVR 2, very specific design. Whereas our headset that we've rendered looks more like the Oculus Quest, uh, we'll be talking about here in a minute, which again, has a headband that wraps around the head and an over-the-top band. So it looks cool. I'm excited. I really like these renders. They're really detailed. Um, it, it makes me think it kind of looks like the real thing. So I just, I'm very curious now what Apple's is going to look like. So really cool. Again, link in the show notes to that. And some quick rumors. Again, Mark Gurman with his newsletter comes out every Sunday. He talked about the Mac Pro and Apple Watch. Real quick, Gurman also did an interview on the Max Tech YouTube channel where he talked about the Mac Pro and also possible Apple Watch Pro. He said that Apple has had an M1 based Mac Pro ready to go recently, I guess, but he says that Apple is waiting for the M2 version of the Apple Silicon, specifically an M2 Extreme model, supposedly that could be the name, and that is why Apple is waiting. Could be the end of this year that we release it. Again, that two year mark is November. Those were when the first M1 Macs were released, and if Apple is going to hold to that two year transition for all Macs to be Apple Silicon, it will be that. He also said that the Mac Mini is most likely not going to be redesigned and just given the M2, possibly M2 Pro chips. The Mac Mini is also one other Mac that still has an Intel configuration that you can buy today new. And so if you want to get an Intel Mac, your options right now are the Mac Pro and the Mac Mini. And so I'm curious if that Mac Mini Intel option will also go away when Apple, quote unquote, completes the transition to Apple Silicon and we get just an M2 Mac Mini, an M2 Extreme Mac Pro. 
You think the Mac Mini Intel is going away? As soon as they're able to, they're going to dump that thing off a cliff. Yeah, I, I, I saw so. I saw a report the other day saying that Apple has replaced every part in the MacBook Air that was possibly made by Intel by Apple components. <laughs> um, <laughs> like even like there That's was funny. some Thunderbolt controller. Sure, they have to like pay a license still, but the part isn't even made by Intel anymore. So wow. about these rumors, two things. German's comments on the Mac Pro is just funny to me because again. All the way up to WWDC, oh, it's coming, it's going to be announced, M1 something or other, and then we get that spring event where they're like, uh, this is the last M1 processor, but the Mac Pro is still coming, and nobody knew what that meant. Right. St- still no Mac Pro. We're not going to get an M1 Extreme, that's for sure. No. It, it feels very weird to me, and this could be a supply chain thing, and Apple might try to you know, throw this under the rug and just never talk about it again. I think there should be a Mac Pro announced anytime. Like it could have been announced right. in July. Like we were expecting like a, a weird side along. Here's this thing. Now July's over. So September, October, I, the two year marks coming and Apple's very sim, a symbolic company. They like these symbolic gestures, maybe a Mac Pro. That's just a weird Frankenstein machine with an M1 Ultra thrown in there could be announced um, this fall. I don't see them doing anything else and definitely nothing M2 related because regardless of what you've heard, there is no way like a MacBook Pro like with M1 Pro or anything higher than, or M2 Pro or anything higher than M2 is coming out this year. So Yeah, well, and also we have to remember that during the Mac Studio announcement, Apple's John Turnus said we have one more Mac to go, the Mac Pro. So, you know, it's clear they're going to release an Apple Silicon Mac Pro just when and what chip will be inside. And I do think it has to be this fall. I think Apple will hit that that two-year mark, even if it's not available to buy until December 31st. Right. And that, well, that's why Gurman's seems to be edging on this one this I th- it seems more like a guess than an actual rumor if you watch the video because he's like they could announce it before the end of this year but it's not shipping until like mid 2023 if even if they do announce it so mm, i don't know yeah. they could pull the announcement thing and just be like this is coming later and congratulations right. we did it we shake everyone yeah. shake hands <laughs> and uh yeah i wanted to, to mention one more thing again he also <laughs> i just thought this was fun because this is uh, this is some meta you know commentary on um the leaker society that they have over here Mm-hmm. German makes the comment is like the Mac Mini redesign. I don't even know who started that rumor. Well, we know who started that rumor. Prosser. It was John it was Prosser. John Prosser. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's just trying to pretend Prosser doesn't exist anymore. And Prosser put I out yet so. another video. I, I know I mentioned this last time I was on, but he's done it again, saying instead of paying German himself, because I think German turned down the thousand dollars. He says I will give a thousand dollars to a charity of your choice if you come on my show and talk to me right. personally. Yeah. So. <laughs> The epic continues. <laughs> so My funny. Gosh. So funny. Also, German talked about the Apple Watch Pro, which might be a name of an additional model that is launched this fall. The Apple Watch Pro would have an even larger display, maybe 7% larger than the current 45 millimeter Series 7. German says no flat sides, no circular shape. Whatever new design, quote unquote, is going to happen in this new model, it's going to be pretty much what it looks like now, just a little different. You know, so no flat sides that we've keep hearing rumored and circular design. Although I feel like those rumors have cooled down. I I don't think we have a lot of people saying there's going to be flat sided Apple watch anytime soon. This is the part of the rumor cycle where we just backslide into, and there's no actual changes and Apple is not going to announce anything different at the end. Yeah. The Apple watch pro could definitely be happening or whatever extreme or uh, sports model that they're coming out with. Um, Sure. But extreme changes that they were rumored before is, 
getting cut back every time we get a new rumor cycle here every like couple of weeks we get a new thing taken off or uh, uh taken off the table or a, a different feature is no longer arriving i mean a 47 millimeter watch with temperature sensing capabilities really tough metal titanium alloy very possible but anything be and that probably looks a lot like the series 7 i saw where someone i think german said a redesign but looks like the series 7 which doesn't make any sense it, it so <laughs> i, I think yes. it'll be just more tapering more circ, you know rounded corners more of the same, just an evolution of that design. So I wouldn't, I don't know yeah. where the term redesign came from there, but I'm not seeing it. Same. And he was saying that this Apple Watch Pro is actually going to be the more rugged version of the Apple Watch, which to me feels a little weird. Typically, the more expensive models were the higher end, more luxury materials like titanium or ceramic, which you could say titanium is more rugged and the sapphire glass on the steel and titanium is more durable than the Ion X glass on the aluminum models. So, I mean, it could all just be, is this Apple Watch Pro just the titanium model, just the titanium finish with sapphire screen, larger display? It goes back to the, the conversation we had of what does pro mean in watch? And I think it means professional sports, not professional fashion. So mm, yeah. we already have high-end fashionable Apple Watches. So even if it does get the pro moniker, it's got to be about pro sports. It's got to be the rugged model. I could see those two things aligning and then Apple just using the pro name again, even if it might be a little odd that i yeah. just don't know what other name they would use at this point real quick lightning round that new uk apple store the brompton robe store there was a preview there was some pictures from inside we'll post that article but it opens as we record which is thursday july 28th and the store is open now as you hear it if you're in the uk you could go visit that store right now i am waiting eagerly to hear if william makes the trek out to this new store maybe tim cook will have been there. I'm not sure, but that's pretty cool. And there's a new cool application that was launched. This is from developer Michael Stieber. He's actually created a Mac application that you could download for free. And it lets you walk through several iconic Apple stores as they were when they launched. It's called Apple Store Time Machine. The four stores that he included in this application is Tyson's Corner, as it was on May 19th, 2001, Stanford Shopping Center in 2004, the Fifth Avenue Iconic Glass Apple Store, May 19th, 2006, and Apple Infinite Loop from 2015. It's a really cool application. It's free. You can download it, walk through those stores, and kind of get a blast from the past. So very cool application. Shout out to him for making that. Also, Apple's purchased a brand new like complex. This was the Rancho Vista Corporate Center in San Diego. They bought this for $445 million. And it's Apple's first commercial property purchase in the reason in San Diego. Apple has promised that it's building employment plans and aims to have 5,000 workers locally in 2026. I thought this was interesting because last week we didn't include it in the show, but there was news that Apple is slowing some of its hiring processes, possibly expecting a recession in the next year or two. But here we are, Apple now buying a $445 million campus with plans to hire workers for that. Again, that was by 2026. So I guess technically we could experience a recession and then come 2025 and 26, it's we're out of the recession. The the story about Apple slowing hires and spending less has been conflated and confused a lot across yes. the, the socials. The story is that specific departments are getting cuts, right. not the entirety of Apple. So Apple hiring 5,000 whatevers, I don't know what they do at these office buildings, um, yeah, make sure. apps uh, or answer support calls. I'm not sure what they're doing. It could be support. Yeah. 5,000 employees 
being hired has nothing to do with Apple Car getting uh, completely destroyed. They keep <laughs> removing people. We saw yes yesterday or in the news, maybe today, that they got another Lamborghini um, designer in. So that's cool. So Apple's car program is still moving forward. Uh, so I guess they're still hiring there. But there are departments that Apple can cut. Like what? One hiring guy? Like these the title of like a story can say Apple's reducing hiring and what the actual number is is never said, but it could be like five less people this year versus last year. We don't know, uh, but it always gets turned into, oh, Apple, you know, they're they're trying to save money and they don't know what they're doing and they're getting rid of their VR program and all this nonsense. Just read the story, not the headline, guys. <laughs> right. And I also think it's important. There are companies that were actually actively laying off employees, which included Meta. The news was that Apple was not going to rehire for positions as people left. So if someone just leaves the company, retires or whatever, then Apple was going to slow replacing those specific positions or rehiring for those positions, right. which is different than actively laying off parts of your staff. So just a little clarification. Right. No, yeah, no layoffs are occurring right. here. Slowed hiring, whatever you want to. Exactly. All right. And finally, I just want to throw this in there because we had a cool article just about some keyboard shortcuts and I actually learned something new. And so we'll include the article, but if you don't use Spotlight, I encourage you try to use it command space, search for things, even just like launching an app or searching for a file. Spotlight is really good. But the new one that I learned was when you're using Safari, if you want to quickly jump to the address bar while you use Safari, command L as you're in the Safari window will immediately highlight what you have in the address bar. And you can just hit command L and start typing a new URL and you will directly go there. So I was not familiar with that one. It's not one that I used, but I'm definitely going to use it all the time now. So command L. Did you learn any uh, new keyboard shortcuts recently? Nope. I kind of use them mostly, but it's one of those things where I already forget what they are because I'm not typing it in. Um. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, it is easy to forget. Um, one it's of my muscle memory, muscle memory, which one that I've committed to muscle memory, I've mentioned it before, but shift option command V for paste and match style. If you don't do that, you got to do it. It's really helpful. Yeah. I, I tend to just make my own because I'm never going to learn like the actual ones. So the apps that let you, what is this? Clean shot X. Like yep. I've mapped all those keyboard shortcuts or paste the com command shift V. Like I use that every minute of every day, um, stuff like that. But um, actual default actions, that's kind of random. I don't really dig in those too much. Yeah. And actually I'll, I think you reminded me. So with programming keyboard shortcuts, if you didn't know, you can jump into system preferences on your Mac, go to keyboard settings and then program keyboard shortcuts for app specific commands. And one of the things I had to do the other day was actually convert a bunch of word docs to PDF. I tried to create a shortcut for some reason it kept getting hung up. It could not convert those word docs to PDFs in a shortcut and combine them. And then I just had, to, I saw there was a bunch of like third-party apps for mass converting docs to PDFs. Didn't want to deal with all of that. So what I did was I created a keyboard shortcut for the export as PDF in pages, which you enter the command exactly in those keyboard shortcuts, which is capital P, capital D, capital F, and three periods. That was the menu command. Even though it's buried one level deep in the export menu, you can still create a keyboard shortcut for it if you enter it exactly as it appears in the menu. And I did something like option command P for export as PDF. I basically opened all 20 documents and pages and then did that keyboard shortcut and hit enter really quick and rapidly in about 30 seconds, I had 20 PDFs instead of Word documents. So program your own shortcuts, especially for things you use all the time. 
So anyway, let us know what you thought about those iOS 16 message changes and anything else we talked about on the show. Wes and I's Twitter handles are in the show notes. You can tweet at us there. You can also support the show and get an ad-free version. You can support us either directly in Apple Podcasts or at patreon.com slash appleinsider and give us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to give you a shout out at the top of the show. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.